is our last and our Be Rich series. And, and I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a recap on some of the stuff that we've already talked about and then finish it off with the last thing that I think that we need to be rich in and that God wants to help us in. And so the whole idea around this whole entire series has been really this. It's, it's what you do with your money and your time reveals what you value in your heart. What, what you put your money into and what you put your time into actually reveals what you actually value. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So basically, your heart goes wherever your treasure is. Whatever you consider to be important, whatever you consider to be of value, whatever you consider to be the most important thing in your life, wherever your treasure is, your heart will go also. And so what the Bible teaches us is what we do with our money, because money's important to us. Let's not be, it's important to me. I wouldn't have been able to do what I did with Trinity the last two days if I didn't have it. And your time reveals what you value in your heart. And the way that you spend your money and the way that you invest your time really says what you value. So how does what you spend your money on, what you spend your time on, what does that say if you ask yourself, what does that show you, what do I truly value? If you really thought about it, some of you uh, would understand that what you really value is Kmart. <laughs> some of you, what you really value is 18 holes of golf. Wow, not getting much support today. Some of you value McDonald's, if I looked at your bank account. Um, <laughs> woo! <laughs> because the way we spend our money and invest our time shows what we value in our heart. And I want to talk to you today about how to be rich in the right way. Because there's nothing wrong with being rich. It's just wrong when we're rich in the wrong way. And I want to talk to you in this last part that if we're not careful, we can be rich in the wrong way. Look at this in Luke 12, chapter, Luke 12, verse 16 to 19 says this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there will be store and I will store my surplus grain and I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy eat, drink, and be merry. See, this man makes one major significant mistake in this whole entire process. He thought that the more blessings he had were for him. He thought that the more he was blessed, the more it was for him. So he tore down his small barns and built bigger barns for himself. He thought that everything that God gave him was actually for him. But in verse 20, it carries on. It says, but God said to him, you fool. Everyone say, you fool. Turn to the person next door. No, just joking. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then you will get, uh, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Listen to what it's saying here. He said, this is how it will be. Your life is going to be demanded from you right now. All the stuff that you stored up for yourself, who's going to get it? No one's going to get it. This 
is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So the question here, is God angry because the man is rich? The answer is no. Who do you think gave him the wealth that he had? God gave him the wealth that he had. God didn't call him a fool because he was rich. God called him a fool, not because he was rich, but because he was rich in the wrong way. He says, you fool, not foolish to have riches, but foolish to be rich in the wrong way. God called him a fool because he was rich towards himself. And he's saying this is the end for all of those that are not rich towards God. He wasn't rich in what mattered most. He wasn't rich towards God. And we've seen this in, in 1 Timothy as we've gone through this these couple of verses in chapter 6, and it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. For our enjoyment. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed my last 48 hours. You guys may not have, but I enjoyed my last 48 hours. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up what treasure for themselves, where your treasure is, your heart is also. It will lay up treasure for themselves in heaven so that your heart goes heaven-wise, yeah, as a firm foundation for this coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. And so in other words, what he's saying here is that some of us may actually not be living a life that is truly life. He's saying if you want to live a life that's truly life, like a real life, like a life that is awesome, then this is the principles that you should live by. Good deeds, willing to share, not storing it up for yourself. He's saying that that's life that is truly life. And so the reality is in this room, and even in my own life in some areas, I would suggest to you that we're not actually living, actually living a life that is really life. We're just living a life. We're not living the life that he's called us to do. And I believe it's the heart of God that we would look at this text, that we'd look at this scripture and realize who we are and what God has given us so that we could become and we could live the life that he has purpose for us. And I think God's just trying to show us, hey, this life that I have purpose for you, which is life that is truly life, the principles of finding that is this. And if you're not experiencing a life that is truly life, then maybe some of these things are missing from our words. Maybe we're not being rich in what matters most. Maybe. Because I think there's more in you, and I think there's more in me. I think there's more in you than you currently are experiencing. And so we're going to say a statement that we've said a few times as we've gone through this, and I'd love you to say it with me and say it with conviction. It should come up on the screen behind me, or did I forget to put it into the notes? I might have forgotten. But we've said this, that God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. Everyone say, I'm rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides, because I have more, I will give more, and I will do more. Because I have more, I will give more, and I will do more, right? Because we want to be rich in what matters most. We want to be rich in the important things, 
not the things that the world tells us, but the thing that God tells us. And we looked at last week, um, Pastor Anna did such a f- fantastic job last week talking about being rich in good deeds. And it says in 1 Timothy 6.18, command them to do good. I, I love the fact that it says command them. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. We don't really like things like the word command because we don't like to be told what to do, yes? Starts off in our teenage years and just carries on through. Oh, man, tough crowd. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. I think that this is such an important thing for us to get our head around because I don't know about you, I think you probably have, but I've noticed in the world that we live in in the last one to two to three years that our world is becoming increasingly hostile to the things of God. It's getting even worse. It's like blatantly obvious in our culture now and, and our culture is becoming even more and more skeptical of not only Christianity, but of actually Christians themselves. I mean, I know that, that I've gone to school camps with my kids and the parent helper, I go along as a parent helper and all the parents will chat away to me, no problem whatsoever until they find out what I do for a living. Then no one wants to talk to me. But then I get on really well with Mr. Lawrence, who was the assistant principal at Hill School, and he was a gay man, and him and I would sit there at dinner time laughing and joking and carrying on. You could watch all the parents that knew that I was a pastor, knew that he was gay, going, I cannot compute this. They're not just hostile towards God, they're, they're hostile towards Christians. And this guy, Brennan Manning, said this. He said, the, the greatest cause of atheism in the world aren't science teachers or public schools. They are not liberal politicians. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who come into a room like this, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out those doors and deny them by their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply find unbelievable. The greatest problem in the world today is not liberal politicians and it's not scientists. It's you and I when we don't live out there what we believe in here. Are you with me today? See, God has called us to live out a response to the grace that he has given us, and we need to live that out. We're not saved by good deeds, as we heard last week, but we are saved for good deeds, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. There are good deeds that need to happen out there that only you can do because God prepared it for you to do. I can't do it for you. You can't do my ones. We've got to do the ones that God has called us to do. And he says, command them to do these things. It's a must. It's not a suggestion. It's not a nice idea. It's something that we should be doing. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, live such good lives among the pagans, that's mean people that aren't believers in God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. And so this whole thing about good deeds doesn't bring focus upon ourselves, but it actually brings attention to God himself, and they glorify God on the day that he visits, whether that be when he returns or whether it be when he impacts their life. And I want you and I to live in such a way that even though they don't believe in our God and they don't agree with our theology, and they will not be a- but that they will not be able to doubt or dismiss our love 
and our selflessness and our heart to serve and change our community. Our heart will be irrationally generous and devoted to leaving the world a different place than what we came into. Because what Peter says here is he says this, he says, even though that they, don't, that they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds. In other words, I don't believe in God. I think God just doesn't exist. I think you're living a fairy tale and, and I don't believe that he exists, but I cannot deny because of your good deeds because of the way that you love, because of your selflessness, because of the way that you serve, even though I think it's a load of crap what you believe, I can't deny it because of your good deeds. You see, so many people in the world today, they want to get on Facebook and be keyboard warriors and let everybody know that everything they believe about God and Christianity is wrong. And God's saying, that's not the answer. The only way that we can get people that doubt, that are skeptical, that don't believe, the only way that we can get them to acknowledge God is through our good deeds because they can't argue with the experience of the love and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Love always wins. Arguments don't turn people. Good deeds turn people. They may not necessarily believe and agree with your faith and beliefs, but they will not be able to deny how you live. And that's what God's called us to do. He's called us to live and to be rich in good deeds. And every single weekend in this building, In these moments, there are a group of people, 85 odd people, that every week they're here on time and they hold a child that is not theirs to hold. They make a coffee that they don't get to drink. They help people get in all sorts of places. They give them their time. They do all sorts of things. And I'm here to tell you, every single weekend, people walk through those doors and they raise their hands and they surrender their lives to Christ because Way before they heard the gospel, they saw the gospel because of those that are here to serve. Can we give those that serve? Come on, let's give them a hand this morning. We celebrate a bunch of people that come into this place every single week and give of their lives to reach people for Christ. God has called us to be rich in good deeds, and God wants us to be rich in generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Not might be refreshed, not could be refreshed, not if you cross your fingers, touch wood, and plead with God, you'll be refreshed. Proverbs says this, Those that refresh others will be refreshed. The moment you give to someone else to meet somebody else's need, the Bible says that that's going to come back to you. It will refresh you as much as you're refreshing them, that you will be refreshed. And we believe here with everything in us that it is way more blessed to give than it is to receive. Come on. And if you don't believe that, you you better question why you're even here because the reality is Christ showed that to us the minute that he died on the cross for our sin, before we even wanted to acknowledge him, before we, while we were still, the Bible says, haters of God, Christ died on the cross for us. He, because he understood it's more blessed to give than receive. He set the example for us to follow. We are and will always be 
the most generous people on the planet because that is who God has called us to be and called us to do. We're going to be rich in good deeds. We're going to be rich in generosity. And the thing that I really want to talk about this morning to you is God wants us to be rich in relationships. Yes, he wants you to be rich in good deeds. Yes, he wants you to be generous, rich in your generosity, but he wants you to be rich in relationships. If you are simply rich in money, you're missing the thing that actually matters the most. John 13, 34 to 35 says this, a new command I give you, what? Love. That was hard. Love one another, how? As I have loved you, so that so you must love one another. By this, two of the most powerful words that you'll ever see in this piece of scripture. By this, by what? By our love for one another, and we love each other as Christ loved us. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, the two words that are life-changing. By this, everyone will know that you're a follower of me. The way that you love, the way that you need one another. These are the words of Jesus. This is how everyone will know that you're my kids, that you're my followers, by how you love each other. And I think the most challenging thing in that scripture, I'll be honest with you, is it says to love each other as Christ loved us. Like, I can, I can love you to a degree. Some of you will have no problem loving a whole heap. Remember, you know, like it's a struggle. <laughs> and it's not about loving them how I want to be loved or returning love to them the way that they love me, but it's about loving one another as Christ has loved me. It's a little bit like that scripture that gets taken out of context all the time when it comes to marriage. Wives, submit to your husband. Yeah. And then it says what? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. I'll tell you what, guys, if you can lay down your life like Christ has laid down his life for you and I, for your wife, she won't have any problems submitting. But if you're a jerk, why should she? If you're not laying down your life for her like Christ laid down his life for the church, why should she? Let alone that before it says, why submit to your husband, it says, submit to one another. Anyway, this is a side thing. Hopefully help some of our mums out there today. You don't have to submit to all men at all. It's not what the Bible teaches. Some of you have got some really bad theology that you've been taught over the years by religious idiots. It's called a partnership, not a dictatorship. Anyway, let me get off my little hobby horse. This is how everyone will know that you're my kids, by your love for one another. And with everything in me and everything in us as a leadership team, we believe that the heartbeat of this church does not happen inside the auditorium. The heartbeat of this church happens in living rooms. It happens over shared meals. It happens over great cups of coffee. All throughout the week, all throughout our community. That's when it happens. We need to do better at needing each other. I don't know about you, but I, I, sometimes I, I quite like my own company. 
You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Michael Cocker knows what I mean. Hey, you got, you're with me. Sometimes I just like my own company. It's just like I don't need anybody else. Just don't need anybody else. I'm fine on my own. I'm quite happy. Trinity and the kids have gone out. Oh, what shall I do? I know, whatever I want. <laughs> Hello. Some of you are like, that's so foreign to me, like, like uh, you know, she's not in here, but Anna Munn. She can't handle not being around somebody 24-7. She's got to have, you know, there's people that just get their energy from being around people. I, I, I don't mind that in doses, but I quite like my own company. Are you hearing me? And here's the thing. He's saying here that the way that they'll know that you're my followers by your love for one another, which says this, is that I actually need people. You actually need people in your world. And I think that we've got to get better at needing each other. I know we get busy. I get that. And I get that going out one more night during the week or whatever is one more night being out during the week. But you'll make time for what you want to make time for. You will prioritize what is important to you. It's amazing how I can make time for the things that really matter to me. Come on. Let's just be honest this morning. We can make time for the things that matter to us. Some of you in your 30s and 40s make time for PlayStation and you need to understand that you're not 16 anymore. Some of you make time to make sure you binge watch Grey's Anatomy. Never miss Shortland Street. Coronation Street. I actually praise God for Coronation Street and Shortland Street and Grey's Anatomy because watching it makes me throw up and it's like it helps me to lose weight. It's just like a God's blessing upon my life. I'm just joking with you. We need each other and we will make time for what's important to us. And here's the crazy thing about this is I'm telling you this today, that the greatest blessing in your life right now is sitting on your left-hand side and your right-hand side, and you may not even know their name. Many of you, we can do better at needing each other. We can do better at this, because we need to be rich in relationships. And if there's an example of what this really means, it's the early church. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, the very first church, and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many one. Listen to what happens when we're in right relationship with one another. Many were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property, I'm not telling you have to do this, and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What does biblical community look like? It looks like those two verses, that the people are so 
loving one another as Christ has loved us. And we're so there for each other that everybody has all their needs met, that everybody has everything they need, that they just sit back in awe at the signs and the wonders and the miracles that are God's doing. And because of that, they get favor with all the people, not just the Christians, but all the people, all the politicians, all the community, all the schools, all the different places they get, all the people. And God added to their number daily. How did God grow the early church? Just by the early church doing life together. They went out there witnessing on the street with their bullhorn, telling everybody that they're going to hell and that they need Jesus. If you find people like that, just go up and punch them in the head because that's not helping any of us. You telling people they're filthy, rotten sinners and they're going to hell is not going to help them. The Bible says through your good deeds, they won't be able to help acknowledge that Christ is the Savior. Stop yelling at people and help people and get in community, and get into a small group, and find friends, because that's what the Bible teaches. We've got to be, you want to be rich towards God? Then be rich in good deeds, be rich in your generosity, and be rich in relationships. That's how we're rich towards God. This guy right at the beginning had no relationships because he was rich towards himself. And God said, you fool. Not because he was rich, because he sucked at being rich. He was rich in the wrong way. The picture of what God has called us to have with each other is there in the book of Acts. Don't settle for the riches and the standard that our culture says is success. Can I get the musicians in that to come? God is wanting us to be rich, but he's wanting us to be rich to him. Rich in him, rich in the right way. And the way to be rich, first of all, starts by being rich in intimate and relationships. Then it's being rich with an irrational generosity towards those around you. And being rich with laying down our lives and using our gifts to bless and minister to those around us. And I don't know about you, but I'm not prepared to settle for anything less than that. What, why, why don't I want to settle for anything less than being rich in those three areas in my world? Because I want to see a community transformed. I want to see lives changed. I want to see you come alive. I want to see you healed. I want to see you whole. I want to see signs and wonders and miracles. I want to see everyone's needs be met. I want to see lives turn around. I want to see people that have denied God just look at the church and go, I can't deny that it exists because of the way that they are, how they love one another, the good deeds that they do, the generosity that they have. How could we ever deny that God exists? Just look at the example of Revive and you'll know that God exists. Even though I don't believe it. I can't get my head around it. I can't deny it. Why? Because God has blessed us with more than we need. We are rich. And we will not trust in the riches of this world, but we will trust in Him who richly provides. Because we have more, we will give more, and we will do more, all for the glory of God 
Amen. All for the glory of God. All. Why don't we just close our eyes just for a moment. And I, and I want you to be honest with yourself this morning and go, you know, am I being rich in the right way? I hope you've realized by now that this series is not really about money. It's really about your heart. Do you have a heart to be rich in good deeds? Do you have a heart to be rich in generosity? Do you have a heart that wants to be rich in relationships? Because those three things, as Timothy says, that's a life that is truly life. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning that as you examine yourself, not the person next to you, not the person behind you, not the person in front of you, but as you examine yourself this morning, I want you to ask this question, am I being rich in the right way? Am I being rich in good deeds? Am I being rich in my generosity? Am I being rich in relationships? And if you are, awesome. If you're not, I would love to pray for you.